Hello, and welcome back to Now Screaming, episode 74. I'm Evan Gulbertson. And I'm Liz Smart. And we're watching all the horror movies that the internet has to offer. So you don't have to. This week we'll be talking about the 2014 horror film, The Quiet Ones, which comes to us from Hulu. Yes, our first off of our Netflix game. How do we feel about the wider world, or is it too soon to tell? It's too soon to tell, but I'm happy about it. I'm really, I, I am obsessed with realgood.com, which is the roulette that we now use. So I just want to do it all the time, and I'm going to love it for a little while, kind of regardless of what happens. I I said this at the end of our previous episode, before we had even watched The Quiet Ones, but this feels exactly like the kinds of thing that would come up on Netflix in the old the It old sure roulette. does. Oh, there's nothing particularly like, oh wow, Hulu's really got some great horror movies, but like that's the majority of stuff that's out there. So many movies like this get made every year. Like, just yeah. base. Not terrible. Not offensive. Just kind of doing something horror movies. It's our bread and butter. This movie, The Quiet Ones, was directed by John Pogue, who went to Yale. <laughs> Uh, and was written by four different people. That tracks. Yeah. What do you think of this movie, big picture, before we dive in? I didn't hate it. I didn't hate it. I didn't like it. No, but like, I feel like we're back to the good old days where I could really take a movie like this and take it at face value and not really expect anything from it. It's got some really good actors in it. Like, um, what is his name? Jared? Jared Harris. Jared Harris, whomst I love. Um, from the uh, AMC's The Terror. And Mad Men. Haven't seen A Mad show Men. that more people have seen. Haven't seen Mad Men, but he is from The Terror. Um, Olivia Cook from Thoroughbreds. <laughs> and Bates Motel. One of my favorite movies from uh, last year. Um, 2018, I guess. That's not really last year anymore, but it still feels like it is. It's film last year. And um, Sam Claflin, the bad yeah. guy from Jennifer Kent's The Nightingale. Yeah, and other things. But uh, that's that's the what most he's most reason. famous for. He's definitely most famous for The Nightingale. You're joking, right? No. No, nobody saw The Nightingale. Well, we did. And you should, too. Uh, Well, that's up for debate. But sure. I think, wasn't he also in The Hunger Games? I think it's probably what he's more well known for. I guess The Hunger Games is a little bit bigger. I guess it's kind of a famous franchise that launched someone's career. Actually, I don't know that it launched Jennifer Lawrence's career. I think Witcher's Bone launched her career. Yeah. She was already kind of settled. She already had an Oscar nomination. Speaking of Witcher's Bone and the Oscars, when you hear this... The Oscars will have just happened. Oh, yeah. We're recording this pre-Oscars weekend mm-hmm. to come out right after Oscars weekend. And nobody gave us any feedback on whether or not they liked our Oscars content. So we didn't make any more. That's fine. There isn't any horror. There were some really, like, people were kind of vying for horror to be recognized this year. Lupita. And Lupita and Florence and Midsommar. Um, but we really only got The Lighthouse. And that's fine. And barely. And just barely. What is it nominated Cinematography. for? Cinematography, which is fantastic. There's a little crumb for the horror community. Sure, but as we mentioned, we're going to be paying attention to the Oscars anyway. So if yeah. people were interested in our takes, they could have had them, but no one said anything. So <laughs> no Oscar podcasting. Unless that this, uh, me saying this now sparks an outrage and everyone begs for it. We could do an Oscar <laughs> sure postmortem. exactly what's going to happen. The movie this really reminded me of was Malevolent. Yes. Which we did a couple episodes ago. It reminds me of a lot of things, but I feel... Because it's also similar to, I feel like, the right... We should talk about what it's about. I was going to use that yeah. as an entry. It's about documenting paranormal phenomena. Yes. In Malevolent, they're scammers trying to do fake paranormal investigations. In this, they are 
Jared Harris is a professor, and he has a couple students, and mm-hmm. Sam Claflin plays a non-student he's a videographer. He's yeah, just like, he's hired like from outside. He's not yeah, part of the, the university at all. To document their experiment and all this stuff. He's but a they're professor trying of psychology, to... right? Is he? Well, his whole thing. He's not trying to document the supernatural or the paranormal. Who? Jared Harris. He's, he's trying, trying to cure... He's trying to prove, through curing this girl, through Olivia Cook's character, he's trying to prove that the paranormal does not exist and that what people think the paranormal is and like what, what people think of um, possession is just a manifestation of mental illness. So, like, he thinks that Olivia Cook is exhibiting these symptoms of being, like, quote-unquote, haunted or possessed. Like, demonic possession. Yes, because she is mentally ill and that, like, literally they will be able to exercise her of her illness. And it is, and that it is physical. The thing that he explicitly believes, so this plays out a lot, like you mentioned the right, this plays out a lot like... An exorcism movie. An exorcism movie. Mm -hmm. But what, what Jared Harris believes, his thesis is that the figure the possession figure the demon or the whatever ghost whatever uh is something she created something olivia cook created yeah with her mind through mental with mental illness is that what i just said uh kind of i think it's less about the illness and more about the that it's like a fabrication that it's something she created i but like i disagree i think that we're we're focusing on very specific parts of this movie that like they both exist sure it's she didn't... He's not saying, you're just making it all up. He's like, no, no, no. you internalized this. You read it somewhere. Like, this per- this ghost who's haunting you. But they use, you... like, paranormal spectral imaging to prove that she has That's a... what I'm saying. Yeah. Is That's what's so funny about it, is that he, he doesn't... He doesn't think she's making it up. He thinks that, that, that mental illness takes on a physical manifestation. That, like... There's a point where she, where they're like trying to do like a seance basically to right. pull this ghost or whatever out of her. Cause they don't really ever talk about it being a demon. It is specifically ghost oriented because that's the whole thing with the, um, what do they call it? The stuff that comes out of your mouth when you're possessed by a ghost. Ectoplasm. Ectoplasm. At one point, ectoplasm comes out of her mouth and Jared Harris does not see this as like, holy shit, I've been wrong all along. He sees it as like, that is it. That's the physical manifestation of her mental illness. Yeah. So well, he has this weird in-between vision of like, it isn't just, oh, it's all in your brain and it isn't ghosts, but it's the literal physical manifestation of mental illness that he believes in, which is right. a really weird like soapbox to be on, to yes. be like, this isn't a ghost, but it is ectoplasm. <laughs> And she is going to, and she does have like weird powers that can't be explained, but the idea isn't that she's possessed by a ghost. It's that her weird powers are because she has mental illness. Right. Which is like, again, a very wild thesis and obviously not one we're supposed to really believe in at all. We're no, kind of because, supposed to know he's full of shit. Because Sam Claflin doesn't, right? Sam Claflin is our yes, protagonist our audience here. surrogate, yes. This movie is it is off to the races right away because there's mm-hmm. this lecture. This takes place in 1974, something like mm-hmm. that. It's a fun period piece. I don't know that I'd describe this movie as fun. Um, I actually in, found it very fun. They're in class, and there's one of one of his students is like kind of like questioning because he has a whole thing about like who believes in God and heaven and hell. Yeah. But you guys don't believe in ghosts. It's like a whole yeah, a whole spiel People get he's really doing. Mad. And the girl. 
who comes to become to follow more later, uh, whips around and calls the student a traitor. Yes. For questioning him. I wrote this down because I, this is really funny. I just, I just read my notes over for the first time and I wrote, this is already so self-serious as my second note. But then I wrote, I actually find this academic stuff very fun. So I think I turned kind of on a dime yeah. when that happened because I'm so into academic cults. It's a cult of personality. Around yeah. professors. I think that it's so fascinating and it happens, it's so prolific and they're obsessed with him in this way that I find so interesting that she would call him a traitor. Yes. I just love it. So our characters are Jared Harris whose name is uh, Harry or no. Joseph? Joseph. I wrote down Jane Harper Chrissy Harry Joseph Brian. <laughs> so it's going to be fun guessing who's who. Brian is Sam Claflin. Jane Harper is Olivia Cook. She is the, stu- the, the patient slash Subject slash object. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Chrissy and Harry are the other two. The other two students, they are basically indistinguishable in terms of plot. Except Chrissy is kind of a nurse. She's, yeah, she's but sort of, ki- only kind she takes of. care of Jane when bad things happen to her, when they're like experimenting on her, basically. But I think it's and, just because she's a woman. Yes. And I was going to say, her being a woman also comes into play because there's a lot of like weird sexual stuff happening with this kind of love square. Love square? Actually, it's actually like a love. What's five? Pentagon? It's a love pentagon because it does actually involve all of them. Because, Describe it, please. Describe the love uh, pentagon. Okay. Christy and Harry are sleeping together. Yes. That's, that's, that's the they're can- dating. That's the canon They're one. in a relationship. <laughs> they're, they're, are they really? I'm pretty I sure. I think they were just sleeping together. They have a... Yes, they have a bond. Uh, oh. Joseph it hits on Chrissy, so his professor to the student, in a way that is like... She doesn't seem to like it when he does it, but then she pursues him a lot later on. So they have a... Clearly she a dotes weird, on him. They have a weird, like, mentor bond where he, she might not really want to have sex with him, but she doesn't like when he gives attention to other people. So there's that. Um, Brian, the videographer, is very in love with Jane Harper. The this subject. is a separate line. You have, you've, you've, no, it connects, it connects, it connects, it connects. Um, because then we don't actually get a sense of it, but Joseph is potentially also interested in Jane Harper. As both a daughter Chrissy, and sexual object, yes. it's really weird. Yes, but it's the yeah, it's, it's the supposed same to problem. Be. It's Jared Harris weird. is like an the old movie, man. Yeah, the, the movie calls it out. Chrissy has a whole when things go wrong, she has a whole monologue about how like you just want to cure her so you can have her. Yes, so it's not a circle, or it's not a, it's not a pentagon in that they're all connected. But I guess Chrissy being the hub, Chrissy spirals off into Chrissy. Harry, Chrissy spirals off into Joseph, Joseph, Jane, Jane, Brian. So they're all in this house together, experiencing a lot of confusion and lust and love and jealousy. So there is that. So that, that is, that is what distinguishes Chrissy also is that she kind of is the hub of this sexual activity. Whereas I do think Harry is nothing. Harry is nothing. (laughs) Harry is truly not a character. He's just Brian, but likes Jared Harris more. <laughs> That's like well, no, all he a, is. Yeah, yeah. He's a science. He doesn't even really, I feel like, talk about science that much. He's just another person. He's a body. He's a warm body, basically. Could we get through the plot really yes. quick? Why don't we just zoom through the plot and then talk about stuff like sure. character and themes? Because, sure, sure. like, nothing happens for most of this movie. Correct. And when I say nothing happens, I mean they do their seance. And something supernatural happens, and then the next day, they do it again. Yes. It does not move the plot forward until probably the last 45 minutes, when Brian decides he's going to start going, going and doing like library research, mm-hmm. and 
like, but a big stretch yeah. of this, and I can't even really describe what their stances are like because they're, it's very weird visually. They have a spinning, like, white light light thing. Mm-hmm. I think it's too, um, gosh, I'm not finding my words today. Uh, what's the thing where someone like swings a clock, hypnotize, hypnotize her. Because she kind of focuses on the light, and her eyes go kind of... And then they try to talk to the person inside of her. Evie. Evie, who she sometimes manifests through a doll. Yes. She's a doll who is Evie. And if you hurt the doll, it hurts Jane. Uh-huh. That does happen once. She tries. He tries to stab the doll. She's um, suicidal, which is why they have her locked down in this house. We should talk about that mm-hmm. a little bit. She's literally just locked in the room of a house. They all live in the house together. Mm-hmm. And they don't let her sleep. Right. She does, uh, they, they play, like, they really loud music. They blast, like, music, like, loud music to prevent her from sleeping. I think because she, like, potentially goes into a different place when she's asleep. Like, things happen where they... They, t- they talk about one time where she's asleep and then something bad happens to Chrissy. And it's like, she was asleep. And it's like, because Evie comes out when she's asleep. I also think we should loop back to this, but they're basically just torturing her. They are. Oh, nothing, no nothing scientific is happening. Except that they're recording it. <laughs> Except that they're recording it, right? But, like, during these seances, like... Sometimes the ghost, like, burns her hands. But sometimes mm-hmm. Jared Harris just cuts her arm open. Yeah. Like, to try to provoke her. Yeah. It's fucking psychotic. And again, the movie knows this. Because yeah, Brian, well, every Jared time Harris they do... the bad guy of this movie. The plot, the plot moves just by Brian recording things happening and being increasingly like, why are you doing this? This yeah, is bad. Yeah, he doesn't like... That's what I was going to say earlier when you were saying they're just doing all these experiments. The push and pull is that Jared Harris is trying to push her farther and farther and farther every time to get Evie to, like, come out. And every time Evie comes out, something bad happens to someone, usually Jane, and then Brian, like, freaks out about it and is like, why are you doing this to her? Like, oh, she's innocent or whatever. And Jane alternates back and forth between being, like, really, um, you know, damsely and sweet and pathetic and, like, oh, safety. Yeah. And messing with Brian she in a, loves in a, to in a really Brian. mean way, like in a like flirting with him and then kind of going back on it and like teasing him in a mean way. So she's it's kind of classic exorcism behavior going on of like, you know, the the angel and the devil. So eventually there's a couple like scare sequences. Again, we can loop back to the most notable ones. Jane ends up having a sigil on her body that like manifests. They call it a sigil. Um Brian is like, huh, I should go to the library and do some research. Goes to the library, does some research, finds out that there was a cult that were devil worshippers. Yeah. Yeah. I thought they worshipped a specific demon. That's what they were trying to do, was they were trying to pull their demon into the world, right. a la Hereditary. Uh, the, uh, the house that they were doing this in burned down and everybody died. That didn't make sense to me. Did they go to this house on purpose? Yes. I missed that somehow. I was like, why are they in this house? That, it was like... part of this, this, again, it just introduces plot very late. Let's move, like, let's go through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the house burned down and everybody died, but. Except for one person? No. Okay. Uh, one of the people that they were trying to, ch- so not one of the people, the person, there was a girl named Evie that they were trying to pull the demon out of. Mm-hmm. This part doesn't make any sense. So yeah, there was a girl named Evie that they were trying to pull the demon out of the way that. Jared Harris is trying to... His name is Joseph. He's the only person we're calling by their actor <laughs> name. Um, is trying to sort of pull this psychic energy out of Jane. Is that what they were trying to do? I thought it was like, they were, like she was like a conduit. What is the difference? I don't know. 
I don't I guess it's something possessing her versus that they want that, like, the demon in his actual true form, I guess, is my... I don't know. In a pair of third act twists that I found very dumb, the previous time that Joseph Jared Harris had done this experiment, we've seen a couple clips of video footage of his Mm -hmm. first patient that it went wrong, but it's why he's convinced that he can cure mental illness through exorcism techniques. Yeah. Uh, it turns out that that was his son. Yeah. We learn... This makes everybody not trust Joseph for some reason that honestly doesn't make sense to me. So, listeners, sorry. You can talk about it. Jane is Evie. She's the only survivor of the cult fire. Mm-hmm. And she went into so much, like, group home shit after that that she, like, repressed it. Jane starts acting hella possessed. Mm-hmm. She gets subdued. Brian gets subdued. Harry and... Christy are dead. Joseph tries one last gambit at he like ties Brian up and he ties Jane to a table and is going to do his exorcism thing one more time. He just got, he's going to kill her. He's going to kill her and then try to bring her back. Yes. And that's what he thinks is going to work somehow. Yes. It doesn't work. The house always wins. In this case, the house is the demon. Mm-hmm. Um, Brian gets blamed for the murders mm-hmm. of everyone and then he is in a mental institution. Mm-hmm. That's the plot of the movie. It's very thin. Yes, I really liked it more and more the more I think about it. Let's talk about a lot of the little specific things. Yeah. Because there are things that I really, really like. For example, Brian, this videographer for hire, uses his hands as a clapperboard. That's what I, that's what I was going to say, my favorite thing. It's she, really to cute. To slate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he does it like three or three times in the movie. Yeah. And then in the very end of the movie... He's, they're filming him in the mental institutions, like the continuation of like the, the use of footage. And there's a point earlier in the movie where um, Jane's Harper, Jane Harper slash Evie is holding the doll that she speaks to Evie through and her hand starts burning and you see that it's like smoking and it just burns. Yeah. So then later on, call back, uh, Brian is in the mental institution and he looks at his hand and it has started to smoke. And then he like looks at the camera and smiles, and then he smacks his hands together. Doing the clapperboard thing. So it's very, very good, and it worked really well for me. I really, I will say, I I wrote this down. I really enjoyed a lot of the incorporation of the footage. I know that you're not a found footage person, and I would not call this found footage because it's it is only incorporated. It's not Blair Witch style where it's like, here were these records found in an well, old box in a device. house. When when I say that's what found footage is. It's a okay, but when device. I say it's found footage. It, it convey you know what that looks like. You just mean footage. Our listen- I mean footage, but yeah. our listeners know what that kind of movie looks like. It's shaky handheld camera. It is like only seeing part of a thing. Yes. And then, Which like, is not away. all of this, but it is kind of annoying because the reason that found footage, I could like go on with like forever. But no, we should, that- we should have, for me, for me, this is the um, central filmmaking problem with the movie. Yeah. And so I would like to spend some time on it. So, yeah. I was just going to say that I think that. The reason that found footage gets used, found footage and footage gets used so much in horror movies, we've done so many footage horror movies in this on this podcast. The reason it gets used a lot is because there is horror in the unseen, right? Yeah. And so it is an easy way for uh, filmmakers to wiggle a camera around and then you see only a glimpse of something. It's the thrill of something for me like Cloverfield, where you never really get a glimpse of the monster because it's always just kind of like, oh shit, and then it looks up and then it looks down. Yeah. And I, Fucking love that. 
Yep. And I think it's really, when it's used well in horror, it's wonderful. And I think what we're actually moving towards a little bit in a lot of horror movies now, Blair Witch comes to mind, the Blair Witch remake from 2016, uh, is that if we have actual filmmakers doing it, they do want to prop up their cameras on something. Yes. And that does happen in this, where like Or sometimes... use drones, or use... Because um, even... It doesn't bother me in Blair Witch, a movie I like a lot, um, which I recently learned most people don't. What's wrong with you guys? Crazy. It's a great movie. It's a great movie. It's so Adam much Lingard's... better than the original yeah. Blair Witch Project by like 10 miles. It's so good. Respect Adam Wingard yeah. and Simon Barrett. Um, they use, like, GoPros, basically. So yeah. the shaky cam, when it's, like, attached to their head... It's just because they're running. Yeah, but it also, it makes sense. It feels like people who made a decision that this is how they want to capture footage, rather than, oh, I just got a camera, what's going to happen? the whole thing, and I think that's really meaningful. And I think in this, it does bother me that what will happen is that they're all sitting around the table together, and... Joseph does make Brian participate. He's like, comes it down and hold everyone's hand to like complete the circle. And they leave the camera running. On a and, tripod. It's, and it's perfect because all it is is just adding this ambiance of the 70s. Well, and, and like. And the plot of this, them recording. This documentation it. aspect yes, of it exactly. is interesting. And I love that. But then what happens every single time they do a seance is that something starts to happen with Jane and Brian goes and picks up the camera and goes to like zoom in on her. And it's like. You didn't need to do that. Okay, so we're on the same page. Yeah. There are multiple... But you are saying that the footage no. is... You could throw it all out. And I'm saying that I really like certain aspects of it a lot. I think that... So there's a scene... Let's talk about the, the seance. Let's talk about what you just said first. Yeah. There are multiple sequences. I cannot stress this enough, listener, where they're sitting around the table doing a seance and Brian gets up out of his chair to go get behind the camera and start flailing the thing around. around. Yeah, in a really it, n- nonsensical it way. It sucks. Yeah. Because if you just let it be this 70s video camera and, like, let the scene sit still, yeah. it would actually be pretty good. And, and will, instead it looks cheap. There's two other times I will say that the camera is used so perfectly. One is small, but... Uh, I, it's the one I wrote down because I really loved it. That, like, Brian is capturing... I keep wanting to call him Sam. Brian's capturing little moments uh, that that have nothing to do with the experiment. Like, he he records a woman in the first place they're in there in an apartment before yeah. they go to the house. And he records a woman who's leaning out of her window, screaming at them from across the street to turn off the music, which I, like, loved. That's such a wonderful yeah. little detail. Because I think it's one of the reasons they leave to go to the house, right? Is that they're like, they're bothering people. People are not happy with their presence in these apartments. And then the second thing, which I, I know that you also liked, was when they arrive at the house, um, Brian puts the camera on a tripod and they all go stand in front of the house oh. together to have like a moment. Like they kind of just pose, I guess, just so that you could take that one kind of frame and be like, that's the picture. Yeah, it's the documentation of and, like... Here's us, us at the beginning of this yes. process. And they all go inside and they and the door shuts and he, they've left the camera running to kind of capture this moment. And there's a, a nice bit of silence. And then the van door, the back door of the van that's still sitting there, just opens and creaks. And it's just a great moment. And it just sits like that until a few seconds later when Brian comes out of the house and grabs the camera. So classic found footage movie trick. That's paranormal activity. That's, you know, like mm-hmm. it, it, it works for a reason. It's a trope for a reason. It works in this movie. Yeah. Again, very little of the quote unquote footage in this movie is that it is a lot of handheld camera stuff. And to contrast that, which again, I agree works. Mm-hmm. It's, it's spooky. There's a sequence where the lights go out and they go up to the attic and they're looking for Jane, who seems to have escaped. Yeah. And it just feels like the filmmaker, 
because I don't know if it's descriptive or not, um, just needs to rely on shorthand to be like, oh, I need whoosh, whoosh noises, and I gotta flail the camera around, because oh. nothing is really seen, and, like, something is, like, really high contrast, where, like, someone's, like, really blown out by the light. It's yeah. just, like, it's lazy, and because anyone watching this movie has seen the movies that do this, yeah. they know the tropes, it's just frustrating because honestly, like it, this is not going to sound like a high percentage, but like 60% of this movie is not indulging in that. But the 40% that does for me really sinks it. It feels like they just don't know what they're doing and they don't know how to create tension or fear without defaulting to, Oh, you can't oh, see what's can't going see. on. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's very frustrating. No, I agree with you. I think that like the, the divide here is just that I don't mind it and you do. Right. And it does bother me in a a story sense and a realism sense of the movie, because I think that if you have something like, again, I'll bring up Cloverfield because I think it's a great example. Uh, TJ Miller is the one who is mostly carrying the camera in that movie. And he's not a videographer. Yeah. The whole point of it is that he's he's carrying around this camera just to film his friends going away party, and it, but it's not. And then a monster attacks. And then a monster you know, attacks. Like... He, the idea is not even really to, for him to be like, wow, I'm going to professionally capture this for the future or whatever. It's like, he just has a camera and he's like, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. Yeah. And I think that that works on a story level, but I think a lot of the and it doesn't distract you. The thing of the word, I, I a lot of people are distracted by it. Well, I mean, a lot I, of people don't glorify. I'm one of them. I don't <laughs> yeah. love it. Yeah, but it. It is integrated. Yes. Right. Whereas this, and I think a lot of other movies like it, it is one of the reasons Blair Witch 2016 is good and why Blair Witch, the original, should be better, is that these are professionals or they're students. They're trying to be professionals. They're people who are coming into this being who are like... passionate about camera passionate work. Passionate about camera work and film. And they're like, I would like to document this for science. And like, what's her fucking name in Blair Witch Project? Is it Chrissy? What's her name? I don't know. Heather. Fucking Heather. Uh, Heather is, like, doing a video project for school. And, like, if you're doing that, I guess there's a point where you get so panicked that you're, like, just freaking out, and that's kind of the idea of Blair Witch. But in this, he's a professional hired to do this. So it just makes no sense for him to throw the camera around. So carelessly, yeah. Like, no, he would be, if he's a true videographer, he would stand somewhere and try to capture truly what is happening. And so I agree with you that... It doesn't work on a film, like, uh, just experience level. And it doesn't work on a plot level. Yeah. And so there's nothing really about it that works, except that it does the thing that all found footage does, which is disorient you. And I think there's just so much in just, like, there's so many tropes we can complain about in movies where it's like, why did the director do this? And it's like, to disorient you. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, somebody needs to come up with a new way to do that. Because it's getting it's starting to get really lazy. Love to use that as a segue, which is I don't I think that it is lazy to disorient us that because what works about this movie for me is the performances. Oh, for sure. I think they're really good performances. I mm-hmm. think Sam Claflin is a plausible, like gets invested in this girl too quickly and he's like such a baby. He's yeah. got such a baby face. He's always like, Oh no. But he he not in the nightingale. Uh he no, doesn't in this know, movie though. He's in over his head, is what I'm trying to say. And he's yeah. really good at playing that. And he doesn't have the loyalty to Joseph. Right. Which is important. Olivia Cook has to flip on a dime a hundred times and I think really pulls it off from scary to scared just yeah, over and fantastic. over again. She's fantastic. And Jared Harris is this charismatic professor who you absolutely know 
you would follow into battle. Yeah. Like, it works because he is both so, like, when he gets angry, he's very um, intimidating and frightening. Mm-hmm. But He's also so charming. He's also so charming. And very handsome. And they're at this house together, and there is, like, a time where they all go out and, like, hang out on the grounds, and they're just having a nice time, like, playing games. Like, it still has that, like, collegiate feeling. Yes. And that is very, I think it's very strong, and it's because of Jared Harris. How old do you think that Jane Harper is supposed to be? Early 20s? I agree, but she is so much smaller than everyone else in this movie that it's almost as if she's 16. It's possible. I don't think she is. I, I don't think, think she is because right. I think that'd be like ex- it would be an extra weird helping on top of the weird that it already is. And I think this movie would address that if she yes. was a literal child, especially with um, Joseph. No, with Brian. I, I, Why? I think because we already have it that he's a creepy professor, and that he has a sure. daughter thing to her. Whereas we are supposed to really love. Sam Claflin's character, yeah. like we're supposed to like believe in him that he knows what is right, and if he's a mid twenties guy hitting on a sixteen year old in what twenty fourteen, yes, that's not gonna fly. I mean, it, obviously in the movies the seventies, but like the movie's smart enough to the movie would address it. Somebody would be like, "Hey, you're not a hero anyway. Like you're hitting on a sixteen year old girl." But it, but we're supposed to think that like they could have a future together, I guess. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know either. I actually had that thought in this movie that there's a lot of horror movies that happen. I think I actually mentioned this on our Amityville episode, our fourth episode of this podcast, um, about like when there's kind of a romance subplot in a horror movie or you're kind of like working on your relationship in a horror movie or your marriage. After this horrible thing happens to you, do you just like go be with that person? Because I can't ever envision that. No. They're not going to ever be like, just living in a house, like, going and buying groceries and, like... Well, again, again, it's the delusion of when you're caught up in it, right? Yeah. Because, yeah, this movie knows that because everyone fucking dies and he goes to yes, jail, you know, like... Do- yes, it does. But I, but it's... I I have never been in a situation like that where I could delude myself into, like... You're, I guess you're not even really seeing the future. He's not thinking, like, I can't wait to marry this girl. He's just, like, I gotta get her out of this situation because she's not safe. And wherever we go after that, at least she'll be safer than she is now. Right. I did think it was interesting. There is like the push and pull that I mentioned earlier of um, Jared Harris and Sam Claflin, Brandon Joseph, um, is that they both think they're going to save her. Yes. And I did think that was interesting. I wrote there's something in that. I don't know that this movie fully explored it, but I or that it it hits the right beats. Right, but it's there is something there of. It's not like in some movies where they experiment on people where science is the prevailing thing. And it's like, who cares what happens to this person? Uh, it kind of gets the way by the end when he's when he kills her. But, like, yeah. there's a long part of this movie where it's not just, like, abuse this girl for science. It's like, no, if we do this right, her life will be better. Though, so again, as the viewer and as Brian, it really just seems like he's just abusing her for science. Of course, but, like... I think we're supposed to believe that he actually does care about her. And I think that that comes up later with the son. And I think that's if you want to transition into like... Sure, if you're talking about that. Yeah. Um, Because that's the daughter aspect, is that he's also trying to save his own child, and he's projecting that onto her. But I think that it did make sense that um, on both ways, where I understood where the thesis came from for him, because the thing about his son they're watching this footage and it mentions that the little boy is haunted by someone named Mr. Gregor 
and that Mr. Gregor came to be because he was specifically a character in a story that his father told him. Yeah. So like that actually makes sense from a thesis point of view. Where like if you're if you tell your son a bedtime story and you're like Mr. Gregor, he's like a magic man, he makes things happen. That's like the, he he's the man who makes things happen. Uh, and then your son starts going, actually, Mr. Gregor is here and he's possessing me. And he's making things and happen. And he's making things happen. You're not going to... Your your obvious thought would be like, oh, my son is making this up. Or my son is using this story to try to tell me about his own mental illness. Like, that's obviously not what happens because we see some footage of, like, real freaky shit that's clearly not mental illness. But, like... That makes sense. I mean, we see like a, a black like ectoplasm tentacle leave Jane's mouth. Like yes, but that's what I'm saying is that I think that that's it's an interesting. I see where his hypothesis came from in this story with his son. I actually it's like, clearly, but it's clearly we're supposed to understand that it's a uh, his commitment to his hypothesis is very much. A oh mistake. yes, and it's clearly a rationalization to try to understand what happened to his son. Yeah, and like it just it clearly destroyed his family. What happened to his son? Did his son die? Or is he just in an asylum now forever? I think he died, but I don't remember. I couldn't tell. I couldn't really tell what we were supposed to get from that last piece of footage. Um, and I guess they're just betrayed because he lied to them in some way. Right? I don't know. It's just I don't like know. I don't know what his responsibility is in that situation <laughs> other than to like not pretend that this is not his son. And not lie to them. I think they, they probably just feel like they, he... He brought them in under false pretenses. Sure. And then his emotional investment, because they're theoretically scientist students. True. He shouldn't be working like that if that was what no, happened no, no. to his son. Yeah. Though, and again, at that point, everyone knows that he's overinvested in Jane. Right. But... <laughs> it's like the last straw. I yeah. Think. Like there's, yeah. it's been building for a long time, and then it's like, oh my god, you're also a liar on top of all of this. <laughs> like, just sort of wrap up. I did want to kind of hit a few things that I wrote down that are minor moments that I appreciated, or thought that this movie was whenever it was pushing through into something better than it ends up being uh -huh. um one is early, this is again very minor this list of things it's probably like five things uh early on jared harris says something and harry is that his mm -hmm. name yeah the, the thinks boy. it's an einstein quote and christie's like no that's a helen keller quote oh yeah and it's not like they don't put too fine a point on it, but that's just a, a, a nice little thing that's very 2014 of this. Mm -hmm. um, when Brian comes to Jane, and she's in the bath of all things, but is like, I'm going to get you out of here. Like, yeah. you're being tortured, and I want to free you. She doesn't want to leave the experiment. And she gives a whole speech. I didn't write down. Right. She really loves word. Jared Harris, yes. too. Like, we haven't really discussed that. She's obsessed with him. She loves him. Well, she gives a speech to Brian where she's like, no, of course. Like, why would I leave him? He saved me from from myself and from the likes of you, from silly, frustrated men like you who want think they want to do things to me and such and such. She looks like a whole monologue, yeah. and it's very good because yeah. she's also, as we mentioned before, fucking with him the whole time of being like horny for Brian and yeah. like taunting him. She sticks her hand on his pants at one point. I wrote that down because I love the way when Joseph comes, he goes, take your hands out of his trousers now, please. And yeah. the way that Jared Harris says trousers. And then when they leave the room, she says with intercom, she like calls him a coward. Yeah. It's really interesting the way that this character gets to play a bunch of different sides. Yeah. And gets to be like, no, I am a person and I'm, I'm making a choice for this to happen to me. And that is the time 
that we see the flaw in Brian. Which, like, yes. the movie plays with only a little because he is our hero, and we are on his side of wanting to get Jane away. But I absolutely watch this movie being like, bro, you're not much better. You're also, she's an ideal for you. Yeah. Like I said, He's just white they have no practical life outside of this, of when they're going to get out of the house, they're going to go get married. No, he is trying to save her because he's a white knight. Yep. And the movie plays with that just the right amount, I think, without making it too heavy I agree. It, kn- it, knows, it, it, it knows what the right. flaw of Brian is. Yes. And I think that he's not just this... Uh, you know, fateful. Like when when this happens to him at the end, when he gets blamed for the murders, it's not like oh he was just an innocent caught up in all this. Like yeah. no, he. I mean, he didn't murder all those people, but he he had many opportunities to do the right thing and didn't. Yeah, because his he was in love with her. Yes, like he could have left and gone to alert someone. Absolutely, but he wanted he wanted to save her himself. Yeah, when he goes to the library, there are a couple other students at the university who are not big fans of Joseph. Mm-hmm. One of them comes up to him. When he's like, because he knows that um, this other student knows that Brian is working on this, working on this project. And he says, and I do quote, killing a young woman is a wonderful way to create a ghost, which is an insane thing for this person to say. (laughs) I love it. What? Sorry. So you, you random student who doesn't approve of Joseph believe in ghosts. I thought it was totally sarcastic. Really? Yeah. That's why I loved it because it's him being like. Yeah, if you keep going this way, you're going to freaking make a ghost, all right? Like, stop. But I think that implies... Okay, I... I I find it to be both sarcastic and... I don't think this person is literally saying, you're going to kill her and a ghost will be made. It's like, you're going to find what you're looking for by destroying this person. I think the line delivery and the way that it's written just makes it seem like so heightened that I... It is heightened. I love it. But it's bonkers. <laughs> it is an intense thing to say. Brian is so funny. I was going to say earlier, I think he's interesting because he doesn't go to this university and they make a big deal about that. That's like, he's not from the university. He's not an academic like them. But then they start treating them like an idiot. And he's like, I did go to college, just not your college. Yeah. And I think that is so funny. I found that so interesting as a character. Yeah, when they're talking about like the ways in which this will not be evidence enough is the conversation that they're having. Yeah, and it's just so funny that it's just like, he's like, I'm I, I'm not uneducated. I'm just not part of your your weird little academic club. Yeah. And I just think that's very funny to play with it. Like, I think a lesser movie, not that this is the height of filmmaking, but like a lesser movie would make him a dunce and them right. geniuses. And the way that it's like, not everybody has to be like, you. I went to college. I'm a professional videographer. <laughs> like, I'm not an idiot. I just don't have your specific knowledge and skill set. Is a very interesting way to do that, I think. Yeah. The last thing is uh, once everything's gone totally fucking haywire uh, and he's going to kill Jane. Mm-hmm. Um, he being Joseph. He being Joseph. Brian says, You're not going to get away with this. And in an excellent <laughs> line delivery, Jared Harris says, of course I'm not going to get away with this. There's two dead people in this house. (laughs) I loved that, too. You're just saying more things I love about this movie. Because that is so Jared Harris' character. He doesn't give a shit. He's just in pursuit of, like, the knowledge. It's amazing. I just saved all the things I like for the end. Um, Are you ready to burn this down? (laughs) Leaving only one survivor? Yes. And then get framed for it? Oh, we'll be framed for that. One of us has to do it, and the other one gets framed. Oh. That's how it works. In horror movies. So why don't we go back to our real good roulette 
It's both real good and also realgood.com. Yeah, real Please good. sponsor us. I want to p- partner with them so badly. It's, it's my dream. Why don't you pull up the roulette and let's, again, continue exploring these fascinating new waters. Mm-hmm. Our next movie will be... Revenge? That's not a very descriptive title. It is not. I like the poster, though. It's on Shutter. Oh, delightful. Okay, the it sounds very interesting. All right, all right, all right, all right. Would you like to tell me something about it or no? Would you like me to read you the synopsis? Yes. Jen's romantic getaway with her wealthy married boyfriend is disrupted when his friends arrive for an impromptu hunting trip. Tensions mount at the house until a situation culminates in an unexpected way. It's directed by a woman. Oh. Always exciting. I don't know who any of these people are. Is it It looks French. Oh, it's French. Oh, no, it's Belgium. It's from Belgium. Interesting. Uh, I'm very interested in this. Revenge. It has a very high Rotten Tomato score. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Thanks, Shudder. Thanks, Shudder. Our first Shudder. So we did Hulu last time, and And now now we have a Shudder movie. I love it. Until next time. You check us out on our website at nowscreaming.com. And on Twitter and Facebook at Now Screaming. Be sure to tell your friends about the podcast and leave us a rating and review of five stars, nothing Please less, do. on iTunes. Thank you, as always, to Wes Craven and Jared Harris for being so <laughs> handsome and such a good actor. He's so good at acting and he's got a good face. I'm a big fan. I like him a Everybody lot. Everybody go watch The Terror. It's a horror series. It is a horror series. It's very freaky. And um, what was the other one he was in that just... He was nominated for the Emmy. Chernobyl. Chernobyl. I haven't watched it, but people like it. People love Chernobyl. People love Jared Harris, as they should. All right. Until next time, everybody. Stay spooky. Stay spooky.